With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to episode 26 of the US Sports Podcast with me, Max Whittle. Joining me today in New York City as I finish out my trip on the East Coast, the voice of the NBA on TV, Mike Breen, sits down with me on the podcast. The man who made the catchphrase bang famous and heard calling games for ABC, ESPN and Knicks games for MSG Network. Talk to me about that very catchphrase and how it originated, his life growing up in an Irish Catholic enclave north of Manhattan, studying at the same college where Vin Scully once went and working alongside two men we all know well from watching the NBA, Mark Jackson and Jeff Van Gundy. Plenty more on this episode with Mike and I'll look ahead to the NBA playoffs later which start this Saturday. Here's my conversation with Mike Breen. So we're back on the US Sports Podcast taping this last day of the NBA regular season here in New York City with the voice of the NBA on TV, Mike Breen. Mike, how are you doing? Uh, great, Max. I'm, I'm glad you've enjoyed your stay here. It's been very nice. I'm ready to go home, though. You, you were just talking about London there. Where did you say you visited? Um, I had the great opportunity. My, my daughter worked for ESPN during Wimbledon, and uh, we rented a house right in the town of Wimbledon. So spent two full weeks, obviously, going to a lot of tennis matches, but sightseeing throughout London, and uh, it's still it's one of the great vacations we've ever had. We, we just had a marvelous time. How would you compare it to New York? Oh, asking a lifetime New Yorker to compare any city to another, I'm uh, so terribly biased. So, but there is a lot of similarities. I mean, there, there's just a special vibe in certain cities around the world. And London has it, and obviously New York has it, uh, where there's just um, there's a pace to it and there's a vibe to it that, that signifies something special is going on in the city, even when there's not. And that's, I think that's one of the cool aspects of both cities. Uh, looking at the Premier League and, and the atmosphere and the culture around that in our country, uh, would you like to call a game? Would that be something that would interest you? <laughs> the fact that I have uh, zero knowledge of the sport, uh, I would be thrown out of the business. Uh, and I'm, uh, one of my few strengths is uh, knowing my limitations. So I would, I would take a pass and rather sit in the stands and be a, a crazy sports fan like the rest of them. Now, that incredible final series last year when the Cavaliers overcame a 3-1 deficit against Golden State, that was your 11th finals that you called on television. Does that setting ever get, not old for you, but does it ever become routine where it becomes natural? Not in the slightest. It's the most exciting time of the year for me. Um, I really do, without sounding uh, corny and cliché, it's, it's, um, it's a dream come true. And for me, it's, a, it's an honor to be able to call the NBA Finals, and I take it as a, re- a real responsibility as well. Um, it's it's just such a special atmosphere, and you know, you said 11th. It's hard for me to believe it's been 11 because it goes by so quickly. Um, but I think I could do another 50, and it would never get old. And I would just be as nervous before Game One, and just be as excited as I was the first time I did it. Now, growing up, you were the fourth of six boys. Am I right? In an enclave north of Manhattan, Irish Catholic family. 
What are your stirring memories about that time? <laughs> um, sports, sports, and more sports. With six boys, that's all we did. And, and back in the day, we didn't have a, um, a dryer in the house. So we had a clothesline. And with six boys playing sports all the time, the big joke in the neighborhood was go look at the Breen House clothesline because outside there'd be just dozens of sweat socks. And this was back in the day, and you're way too young for this. Back in the day, you had to wear three or four sweat socks at a time when you played basketball, when you played wiffle ball, when you played baseball, when you played anything. So um, that's, that's one of the memories I have is, is all, the, um, all the sweat socks. But I had a wonderful childhood, uh, just um, unbelievable parents, role models as parents, who really gave us, a, a especially my dad, a love of sports that uh, for all of us continues to this day. What did your dad used to say about sports when you were growing up? Was there anything particular that you remember? Wow, that's, that's a good question. Um, I don't know if he said anything. Uh, it was more of the way he reacted. Like, I remember as a kid going to his softball games. I remember as a kid, obviously, watching different sporting events with him. And I always watched uh, who were his favorite players and why. And he seemed to always pick, not the star player, but the overachiever who maybe, you know, just barely made the team or uh, didn't have all the great uh, talent, but the work ethic and the passion put him over the top. And and he always seemed to root for the underdog uh, for individual players. So I I kind of adopted that as well. And and then as, you know, as a child, whoever your dad roots for, you root for. So all of his teams that he picked, I I rooted for as well. And of course, you said before we taped that where you're from, it's near the near the Bronx. The Yankees, obviously, are from there. But thanks to your father, again, you're a, you're a diehard Mets fan, right? Yes, um, it's uh, it's something that stays with you when you're little. And I, I was a long-suffering Mets fan. Fortunately, these days, uh, they're one of the, the top teams in baseball. But it's interesting how it happens. Is uh, you know, for example, my father was a New York Giants fan, and again, this is probably something you don't uh, recall, uh, being how young you are. But I think um, it was the Dodgers, the Giants, and the Yankees back in the day. And if you were a Giant fan, you hated the Dodgers and the Yankees. So he was a Giant fan, and he hated the Dodgers and the Yankees. The Giants then moved to San Francisco. Well, he, he had to have a team in New York, and it certainly wasn't going to be the Dodgers and the Yankees. So the Mets were the new National League team in New York. That's who he adopted, and that's what he passed along to me. I'm probably going to mispronounce the name here. Tony Minicola, is it? <laughs> Where did you learn that name? Or Minecola. How, how do you say <laughs> Minicola, you got it right the first time. Tell, tell us who that guy is and, and how much impact he had on your career. You know, I think anybody in any career, in any job, there's somebody who has such an enormous influence, um, and maybe at the time you don't realize it, and then years later you do. Um, but he was a young man who was a few years older than me, and he was in college when I was in high school. And we used to play um, wiffle ball right outside his house. And in the hot summer days, there was like, where are we going to go to beat the heat? And he had an air-conditioned basement. So we would go into his basement, and in his basement, he had built his own little radio station. And he would play records and be a disc jockey and do news reports on his own little radio station. And the only listeners were the wiffle ball players sitting in the basement. But it, it spurned an interest in me that, wow, this is a kind of a cool thing to do. And he kind of pushed me towards, hey, you should think about broadcasting. I, I, I love to play sports. For a while, I held on to the belief that I was going to be a professional baseball player, um, but soon, again, realized my limitations. And because of his presence and his impact and his pushing of doing it, 
that was really the first time I thought about getting into broadcasting, and for him, I am forever grateful. And it's quite rare to find the bug during high school, right? Before you go to college, a lot of people find their calling in college or even afterwards if you ask them what they want to do, but you, you were quite early. Right. Well, some people know when they're seven years old what they're going to do. Others don't figure it out till they're 35. Uh, and for me, it was, it was that period uh, and because of Tony's influence. And I went through the usual with, with my parents thinking, oh, this is not, you, you really need to think of other things. This is a very difficult business to get into. And they didn't say it out of negativity. They said it out of love and wanting me to have a, uh, a job when I got out of college. And at the time, it was a hard business to get into. Uh, but I learned, and I've always passed it along to my kids, and then when I speak to students, whether in high school or college, that if you find a particular field that you love, and I loved sports and I loved broadcasting, so the two of them together, uh, no matter how difficult it is to get into the business, you'll do everything and anything to get into it, as opposed to something that you think might be okay or you might make some money in another field. You're not going to have that full commitment in your heart to go after something. So even though it was, it was hard at first and, and I had a lot of people tell me don't go that route, it was something that was in my heart, so I, I followed that, that path. And you followed it to university, college here, Fordham. What were your motivations then? You didn't listen to, of course, you listened to your parents, but you didn't take it all on board. You went to Fordham. Was that your real motivation? I want to do radio, so I'm going to go there. Yes, and Fordham University in the Bronx uh, at the time, and, and still in many ways is one of the premier college radio stations where the students ran the station. So you were on the air all the time. The students, whether it was a, a music program when you were DJing, whether it was a news program, whether it was a sports talk program, whether it was play-by-play, the students were responsible for the air product 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And there's no better way to, to learn than the hands-on experience. And going to Fordham uh, turned out to be one of the, the great moves for me in terms of making decisions early on. I remember at my university we had a radio station too called Radio Sonar and it's where you can make mistakes as well. You learn how to d- use all the dials as well which is also useful. But did no one ever say to you, wow Mike you've got a great voice was it, or was it always you're trying to push to get noticed? No, you know Max back then every, every student who was there it's what they wanted to do with very few exceptions and a lot of people had better voices than I did and and uh, had just as many dreams and who knows why some people have success in a field and others have to try another field Um, I I was so fortunate and blessed I had so many people help me along the way uh, with support that um, you know there are ups and downs in any field when you first get into it I had my doubts a couple of years out of college did I make the right decision but when you have that kind of support system around and you have that again that feeling in your heart for a certain field uh, you try and push through it. And again, there are many people who, who more talented than I didn't make it for one reason or another. And I don't know why I was blessed to have this, this path, but uh, I'm, I'm very thankful every day. Now, something I didn't know a week ago is that you met Michael Kay, who is the voice of the Yankees now on the Yes Network. You met him at Fordham. He was on the same station as you were. And you two were plotting your future careers in the canteen. <laughs> Do you remember that well? Oh, sure. Well, we would always... He was a huge Yankee fan, and uh, I was a big Nick fan, as well as Met fan. But we would joke that, you know, my ultimate dream job would be to, to call Nick games, and his ultimate dream job would be to call Yankee games. And then we would laugh and say, oh, two idiots uh, thinking something like that's going to happen. And for both of us to, to be able to, to achieve that, you know, again, we, we talk about it all the time, how, how so very blessed we are and how fortunate we are. And 
sometimes have to pinch yourself because you, you, I mean I've been doing it a long time Max but there are still some days when I walk into Madison Square Garden before a game and I can't believe that I've been able to call that kind of my office for, for this long a time So I think it was 2009 I was staying up to watch the NBA Finals and your catchphrase the word bang and you don't have many and it's nice because it's original I, a lot of commentators these days I love Vin Scully because he, he lets the, the noise of the crowd do the talking, whereas a lot of people will talk over the game. You have that one word, bang. How did that catchphrase originate? And were you worried that at any time someone would think you're a homer if you're calling it for one team more than the other because the other team are hitting more threes, for say? Well, first off, you mentioned Vin Scully, who yeah. I'm proud to say is also a Fordham uh, graduate. And he is, he is the top of the line. There's nobody who, in our profession who's ever been better. Uh, so he's been a role model for so many of us. But for me, with, with Bang, I used to, when I was in um, college, we'd do call all the, the student, uh, the games from the student radio station. But when we didn't call the game, because everybody was doing it, so you'd only do five or six games a year, then the other guys would do the games. And so if a Fordham player hit a big shot, I would yell Bang in the stands as a fan. I don't know why I started doing it. I just started doing it. And then when I started broadcasting games, I thought it would, wouldn't be a bad thing to try. And the main reason is kind of what you brought up. It's a very concise call. It's one syllable. Because I think in the big moment, the worst thing an announcer can do is have too many words. Because when your voice is way up high, the, the top level of excitement, you can't talk that long for that. You know, can't have too many words in there. And often the voice can crack or it just doesn't sound right. So I tried it a few times. I kind of liked it. I got some nice feedback. Um, and then later on, I found I wasn't the first one. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I wasn't the first one, but I had other people tell me Johnny Most. I don't know if you remember Johnny Most. Johnny Most was a legendary announcer for the Celtics during the Bill Russell years and John Havlicek years. He's a legend in, in the United States as a basketball play-by-play guy. And he used bang, not a lot, but he used it. And I remember his son came up to me and said, boy, I kind of, I hear you using my dad's phrase. And I did not know because I'd never heard him use it. So I apologized to him, and he says, no, no, no. He goes, it's great. He says, I think it's great that you use it. So it's not an original, but it's, it's one that, uh, that I've, I've come to enjoy because mainly of its conciseness. Did you find at any point that producers or people that worked alongside you or even fans said, you know, maybe you should, take, you, maybe you should not say that so much, or did you never get that? Um, you know, in, as you know, Max, in today's day and age with um, the Internet and Twitter, there's always somebody that's, that's going to complain about something you do. And it, it more as you have to kind of feel what, what you think is right. Uh, I try not to use it too much. I rarely use it more. I don't know if I've ever used it more than twice in a game. Uh, and I, even, I don't even use it uh, every game. So I, I think that's a key to it because if you start using it all the time, it just gets worn out. So I haven't heard a lot of that. And I think mainly because I'm, I'm, I'm sensitive to that. I want to, and want to make sure I don't use that phrase or quite frankly, you can't use anything over and over and over again. Then the audience is saying, you know, what is he doing? He says the same things every night. You're back in MSG tonight. Nick six is the biggest game of the season. Of course. Uh, who do you like to talk to before games to prepare yourself? Um, it's a whole bunch of people and it's interesting, you know, before you even get to the arena, you do a lot of preparation work online and, and numbers and game notes, but I find the best stuff is when you get to the garden. Uh, you talk to assistant coaches from both teams. You talk to a couple of players from both teams. Uh, the greatest source of, of information comes from the opposing broadcaster 
For example, tonight, a gentleman named Mark Zumoff, who's the voice of the Sixers, great broadcaster, really knows the game. I haven't seen the Sixers. I've watched them on TV a couple of times, but I haven't seen them in probably a, a month and a half. So he'll get me up to date on all that stuff. And that's, a, a, like I said, a great source of information. So there's a lot of different people you talk to. And most of the stuff, when you get to the arena and you talk to these people, that's the stuff you use on the air. But you travel so much, you do so many games because you've got to think about national as well. Do you, do you watch League Pass? Do you try and catch it with games? Or is it more for you studying the rule book and studying the game itself? Oh, the best thing is to watch in the League Pass. You know, last night, the night before, that's what you watch. Um, and it's, it's really fun because you learn so much stuff again from the other announcers. The home team announcer knows more about his team than anybody. So if I'm doing a Sixer game, I'll try and watch Philadelphia play a couple of nights before and you get up to speed on what the team's doing, how they're playing. Um, no, I, I just love watching watching the league pass. And the best time here in New York, most of the games start at 7.30. So right between 9.30 and 10, you can watch the ending of four or five games in a row. One ends, you turn to the other, the other one ends. And if you have a good night, it's a bunch of buzzer beaters. So uh, I can't get enough of it. Although I, I do say when, when the season ends, and I've watched so much basketball, it's, uh, it's nice to be able to put on the TV and watch a movie once in a while. Your colleague Jeff Van Gundy says that you love the officials as well. You didn't mention the officials there. Uh, do you talk to the, to the refs before the game? If I can, yes. You're really supposed to stay out of the locker room. If I have a, a, a question about a, a rule that I saw the night before on TV, I might pop in. I usually greet them when they come on the floor if I have any questions about them. Um, they're an integral part of the game. And... It's, I think it's a part that's misunderstood by a lot of fans. Uh, sometimes it's, it's just about rules that they don't know why calls are made. And quite frankly, all fans, like I am too, when I'm, if I'm watching a Met game, I'm yelling at the umpire. Because you're so, you're so passionate about your team that you can't look at it objectively. But uh, the, I feel the NBA officials are the best uh, officials in all of professional sports. Their job is so hard. Uh, there's so many calls during the course of a game that they deserve so much credit. And yes, Jeff accuses me of, of frequently um, favoring them. I don't think I favor them. I think I just give them their side of the story. I think maybe that's because you used to be an official, right? Correct. I ref for about seven years after I graduated from high school. And I got up to the junior college level. I was an okay ref, and I loved it. But it was impossible to do both. And there was a time I was debating, all right, do I stick with broadcasting or do I go to refereeing? And broadcasting at the time wasn't paying that much. Refereeing was actually paying a little bit better. Um, but I decided to go into broadcasting, and I'm probably glad because I, I don't think I could take 20,000 people screaming at me in an NBA arena. But can you remember the toughest gig you had as a referee? There were two, I would say. One of them, when you first start, you have to start on the lowest level. So I was refereeing grammar school games, fifth and sixth grade boys and then the fifth and sixth grade girls. And I remember the first time I called a foul on a girl who's in fifth grade, and I guess that's, that's around nine or ten years old, and I called a foul, and she started crying because I called a foul on her. And I just felt awful, and I'm thinking, I don't know if this is for me. So that was, that was hard and getting used to that. And then the other one was a junior college game and really good players, obviously college-level players. But in some junior colleges in upstate New York, there's maybe four or five people in the stands. So everything the coach yells, says to you, the entire place can hear it. In an arena, when a coach is screaming at a ref, you can't hear it because the crowd's so loud. 
but when there's only a handful of people in the stands, you hear everything. And it's a, it was a hard thing to get used to because you want to get the job right, and some refs could care less what the coach is saying. But I, I, had, I struggled with that a little bit, and uh, that, was, that was a hard game as well. Circling back a bit, and clearly the English can't speak American because Imus or Imus in the morning, where you used to work? Imus in the morning. Uh, yeah, I spent a long time there. It was a, it was a, it's a, the way they describe it here in the United States is it's a morning zoo program where they talk everything from politics to pop culture to sports to current events, uh, a little bit of everything, and they do it where it's um, a lot of it is just making fun of people in a, in a fun way. Um, it's all comedy, uh, and it was, a, it was a really fun show to work on because you had to use your personality. It wasn't just straight sports. You had to find, a, find comedic value to sports, and uh, I learned a lot from that. I learned to be quick on your toes because, I mean, it, there was a whole ensemble of people on it who were, who were ready to attack if you made the slightest bit of mistake. Um, but I, I, had, I, had some, um, I had some good experience from dealing with people verbally abusing you from having three older brothers, and that got me ready for that job. But you talked about if you, if you really want to do something as a, as a kid, as a teenager, you go for it. You love it, you go for it. That was when you were trying to get on the air, right? So how did you crack that? Crack the IMA show? Yeah, getting on the air. Oh, getting on the air. Well, I, um, my first job was doing, and I, I got great advice from a gentleman named Ed Ingalls, who was a, a legendary uh, radio broadcaster in New York, and I interned under him. And he told me when you get out of college, he said, try something um, that, you, that gets you out of your comfort zone. He says, try and do news because you know sports. Sports would be fun. But if you do news and you can broadcast news about subjects that you're not as familiar with and you're not as comfortable with, that will make you a better sportscaster. And my first job was uh, a news reporter for a radio station in upstate New York. And it really, it, it turned things around for me because most of the subject matter I knew nothing about. It was the Dutchess County Legislature, it was criminal courts, it was school board meetings, things that are unbelievably boring and hard to figure out. But the fact that it made me work at it, it improved my writing, it improved my focus in terms of how to narrow things down to, to what the listeners would, would be able to relate to. Uh, it was a great help. And I would always say that to others, too. Don't always just stick in your comfort zone, especially early. Try everything. If you go to a college radio station, try and do a little bit of everything and see what you're good at. And you'll find if you do things that you're not good at, when you get back to that comfort zone, you're going to be so much better. So Zach Lowe's got a similar story, but in the written side, he was in criminal journalism as well. I'm guessing you've had conversation with him about that. I, no, I mean, I know Zach and, and I'm a great admirer of his work, but I didn't know that. And I'm sure we're not the only two. I'm sure there are many of us that are like that. Um, and it really does have an impact because it forces you to be better at, at your craft. You know, talk, for me, talking about basketball is easy. But if you told me I had to host a forum on, on soccer or the NHL, man, I'd have to do a lot of research to get myself up to par before I did that forum. Um, for example, I did one year for the Olympics when I worked at NBC. I was the play-by-play -play man for the ski jumping event. I had never been on skis in my life, knew nothing about skiing. But I worked really hard prior to the event to get up to par on terms of, you know, having enough knowledge to be able to share it with a viewer. Uh, and the other thing, too, it helped me was that I didn't feel like I knew anything, so I, I attacked it as a novice, and I think that was good too. So 
trying those different things out of your comfort zone can, can really make you a better broadcaster. Have you been on skis since? I tried. <laughs> what happened? I failed miserably, so I've given it up. I tried taking lessons a few times, but when you're in your mid-40s, uh, it's probably not the time to pick up skiing. Plus, I'm, I'm a little busy during the winters here, so I don't have a lot of time for it. So radio and TV, it started with the Knicks in 91. What do you remember about, I know you didn't broadcast for other teams, but could you sense, talking to other people, that there was a difference broadcasting Knicks games? Um, no, I, I knew it because I, I had come to the Garden as a fan. And, you know, it's just in New York when you have people like Marv Albert to watch and to listen to, you really learn what it takes and, and what type of broadcaster you have to be. So, again, I, I had so many people that I, that I looked up to and, uh, and watched and really learned from. Um, so I kind of knew going in what it was. But it was better than I expected. Uh, again, as a, as a young kid who loved basketball, who loved the Knicks growing up, to be able to, to sit at Madison Square Garden and call the game. I mean, I was terribly nervous for probably the first 20 games I was shaken. But uh, eventually you get over that and, and you just try and do your job. But do you, are you conscious to introduce yourself to the audience as I'm Mike Breen, or do you just go in there and it's, it's, it's natural? You mean at the, the very start? Yeah. Um, no, you, ha- you know what? I think you have to... You have to win the audience over. They have to get to know you if you're a home team announcer. And that's in any sport. And I, I think, you know, if you want to try and make this big impression the first game you do, you're going to be in some trouble. I think you have to let your work speak for itself and just show them that you're passionate about the sport, you're knowledgeable about the sport, and that you've really prepared. And I think if viewers or listeners see that, they'll say, all right, let's give this guy a chance. And then you hope that as the more they listen to you, they realize that you do work hard and you do really care about what you do. And then they start to respect you. And then you start adding a little bit of personality into it. And then they say, okay, maybe we like this guy. And it could go the other way. They could say, you know what, I don't like this guy at all. And that happens. Uh, but I think it's, it, it takes a while before you can win over a fan base when you're a new announcer for, for a home team, uh, when you're doing you know, regional sports, whether on radio or TV. And you have, to, you have to realize that. You have to earn their respect and earn their trust. So believe it or not, the New York Knicks were in the NBA Finals, what was it, 94? So that's, and 99. And 99, yeah. I want to go before that. Um, 3-2 up against Houston. John Starks has a shot near the end of the game. Is it true that you say that your career could have gone one or two ways on that shot? Well, it, it was, uh, ironically, the shot that John Starks took at the end of Game 6, if it went in, would have won the championship for the Knicks. And it could have been one of the worst radio calls in the history if that happened, because I was calling a game for radio, and the Knicks were uh, trailing, and Starks had a chance for a three-pointer to win the game. But our broadcast location was down the other end of the floor, and I couldn't see if he was behind the arc for a three-pointer or if his foot was on the line. And if the shot goes in, I don't know. And the time expires, and if the shot goes in and it's a three-pointer, they win the championship. If it goes in and it's a two-pointer, it's a tie game overtime. So I don't know what to call if the shot goes in. Now, this is all is going through your head in a space of just a couple of seconds. And normally you look at the referee, did he put up the three-point sign? But I was blocked out from the officials, too. And Starks missed the shot. So I didn't have to call it going in. But if it went in, I would have had to pause and wait 
to find out if that was a championship-winning shot, and it would have been a dreadful, awful, blown call. And those are the type of things that sometimes can stay with a broadcaster. You know, you hope your whole body of work uh, takes precedent over one missed call, but that had, had potential to be a, a horrible missed call on my, on my take. Last few for you, Mike. Uh, back in the UK, we get to know you. NBA Sundays is early tips for us. We stay up late to watch the playoffs and the finals. There was a, a game, I can't remember what it was, you talk, started talking about favorite TV shows. You said The Wire. Jeff had the Hawaii Five O. But my question was going to be, what's your, what has been your favorite garbage time conversation that you've had with him and Mark Jackson? Well, that's right up there because that was a huge playoff game. That was a conference final. And it was so one-sided, and I, if I, memory serves me, it was a second straight game that was, was terribly one-sided, that to try and be entertaining, we just start throwing stuff out. And with, with Mark and Jeff, the beauty of those two as analysts is you can throw anything at them without giving them a preview during a commercial, and they'll run with it. They'll have something either funny, intelligent, or shocking to say. And uh, that one sticks out because of the importance of it. But we've had some, we've had some bizarre, <laughs> bizarre uh, side chats during the course of it. It's hard to remember all of them. But that one was because it was such an important game, and here we are talking about our favorite shows. Now, there are some people that didn't like it, but we found it, we found it amusing. And at that point, we were just trying to make people laugh. But that comedic value that you go back to when you said about the show and you, t- you talked about comedy and people have said that you could do comedy if you wanted to, Jeff starts crying about Draymond Green and not getting suspended, and then you just go straight back to him, not with a basketball-related comment, but talk about Hawaii Five O. Right. Well, he was that was that particular thing. He was going on and on about the Draymond Green stuff. I go like, okay, we got to get him off this this rant. We had one of Jeff's rants. Um, so it was just, you know, it, it's um, it's something of a feel of a course of a game. Sometimes it works. Sometimes you know it's not the t- the, the time and place for it. Um, but that comes with experience, and I think the key is you never overdo it. If you're going to have some some non-basketball talk during a basketball game, have a little fun, get a couple of laughs, but then get back to the game if the game uh, is is still a game that people want to watch. And still some people, you know, they don't want that. Just call a game. I've heard that. Just call a game. Stop with the other stuff. But a lot of people do like the entertainment value because it does – it adds a little something. It shows some personality. And, you know, we watch so many games. It's nice to get, be able to laugh while you're watching your team play too. I'm intrigued though because Jeff and Mark are always – not always, but they're on the precipice of coaching jobs a lot of the time. Jeff has been in the news so many recent years. Jackson had the Golden State job. Per, from your perspective, do you worry about that? Because you three together are such a good team. Every year I worry when the season ends, uh, are they going to be back? Uh, and I can't believe that a team hasn't been smart enough to hire either one of them. They're such good coaches. They both have proven that. Such terrific basketball minds that uh, it makes no sense to me how they haven't been offered a job so far. Selfishly, I'm thrilled. Uh, it's not beneath me to spread rumors about their character uh, in order that general managers won't hire them for a job. But every... Hey, what have you said? <laughs> well, you know, I've, I've talked about drinking, you know, um, uh, suspected drinking problems and things like that, obviously joking. Um, but I'm just every year when they come back, uh, even though I'm disappointed for them because I know they both want to coach, I'm thrilled for me and I'm thrilled for the viewers because they really are, the two of them, their, their chemistry and, and camaraderie on the air is special. I wanted to get one NBA question in. Who's your MVP? You know, I haven't made my choice yet. I was going to sit down and go through all the numbers tomorrow. 
Uh, for me, it's, it, it really is between Westbrook and Harden, and I'm probably leading toward Russell Westbrook right now. Uh, what he did this year uh, for the entire season was tremendous, but so is Harden. If you told me you were voting for Harden, I would say to you that's a good vote. If somebody told me that somebody else is voting for Westbrook, I'd say that's a good vote. I wouldn't even argue if somebody said I voted for Kawhi Leonard. But for me, what Westbrook did historically when he did not have the great supporting cast and to do it night in and night out, uh, I think was one of the great seasons in the history of the league. So that's where I'm leaning right now. There you go. Last question. What is your favorite British phrase? And can you put it into basketball context with one of your famous bang calls? Well, give me a couple of give me a couple of the most popular British phrases. Well, you could say "cheerio," which goodbye, of course. Bits and pieces is another one. Uh, you know, bits and pieces would be easy to work in. Cheerio would sound too fake coming from a, a New Yorker like me. It just wouldn't sound right. Um, bits and pieces. I, I think I'm even going to try this the game tonight. I'm going to try and work bits and pieces in tonight for you, Max. Thank you. I'll make sure I'll go on League Pass tomorrow then. <laughs> Thank you, Max. Thank you very much to my guest, Mike Breen, for coming on to the US Sports Podcast with Max Whittle. I just want to get to the NBA playoffs before we wrap up. Begin this Saturday and there's, there's a relief. The All-Star Game brings with it an embarrassment, especially this season. It was a pretty atrocious affair. And you sense that players at that point in the season... Look forward to getting into the second half and moving on to the playoffs. After about 60, 65 games, there's a real lull in the way that the games are played. You just sense that the players are ready. So Saturday, it all starts again. Eastern Conference, first of all, the Celtics did indeed get the one seed in the end. Last week, we talked about the Celtics-Cavaliers matchup. The Cleveland Cavaliers dominated that one. And you thought that they had all the momentum. Turns out the Cavs went on to lose four games They blew a 26-point lead in the fourth quarter against the Hawks in one of those. They rested LeBron James for most of the four games there. So rest was the priority for Tyron Lue and co. Kyrie Irving didn't play in the final game either against Toronto. So Lue clearly didn't care about the seeding, while the Celtics finished two games above the Cavaliers in the end. Pretty incredible. You've got to know this. LeBron James, in the six straight finals he's made recently, Four of those times, he was the second seed out of the Eastern Conference. And we know what the Cavaliers are like, especially in the first round. They sweep through opponents. I think LeBron James has only lost two first-round games since 2010 when he joined the Miami Heat. Boston have the one seed, though, and it's important. They're going to face Chicago, first of all. And I'm disappointed from a personal standpoint that the Miami Heat didn't make it through to the postseason. They started 11-30, and then they went 13-11. What a turnaround. What a great coaching job by Eric Spolstra, who is one of the, if he's not rated enough, I don't think he is. Certainly underrated in this league for me. He's done a great job with that team, making them play hard. And it's, it's just, you, they're going to look back now and they're not going to think about the great 13-11 finish. They're going to think about, oh, well, if we only had one more win in that start of the season, we would have been in. But Chicago go through and it seemed all year that they were trying to not make the playoffs Dwayne Wade picked up the in- the injury, unfortunately, but you had Jimmy Butler trade rumors, Rajon Rondo calling out Wade and Butler after their comments about the team on Instagram. But they made it. They squeaked through, and they're going to face the Celtics starting this Sunday. I like Boston here. I think they're going to fall one, two games, p- p- perhaps. The season series was split 2-2. Just keep an eye on the Celtics, though. There's a lot of 
attention going to be paid to this team and there's a lot of focus now as the number one seed it's quite a turnaround they were fifth last season but Brad Stevens is two and eight in the postseason this current team has not won a playoff series together they lost last year in the first round so you know you have to be aware that even though they're a very good team they haven't done it like the Raptors have like the Cavaliers have even the Wizards a couple of years ago they were a John Wall injury away from being in the Eastern Conference Finals Boston are inexperienced as this team is in the postseason, but they're going to face the Bulls. The Cavs get the paces. Um, if I'm in the Eastern Conference, I don't want to face Miami in the first round, and they're not in it. Chicago, Indiana, Milwaukee, I'm not worried about them at all. Uh, we've seen what Atlanta can do. Atlanta beat the Celtics and the Cavaliers twice in the last week to shake up the top of the East. They can be on and off, but the, but the bottom three there, I'm fine with that. Tyron Lue says his team have a run in them. I'm sure they do. LeBron's rested. He's going to have about a week off uh, from when the, the playoffs start. But can you turn it on? Can this Cavaliers team turn it on? Two or three seasons ago, fine. Last year, fine. This time, Boston, I don't even think they are the best team in the Eastern Conference. If you put Washington against Cleveland, and they've played them really well this season. You had the amazing game where James hit that winner after the Kevin Love quarterback pass down the court. That was one of the best games of the season. A real playoff intensity. Then you had Washington go into Cleveland and win a few weeks later. So if I'm the Cavs, I'm watching out for the Wizards and how they do. They're going to face Atlanta in the first round. And this feels like a trap series for the Wizards, who in my mind, one of the most improved teams of the year. Scott Brooks has to get a lot of credit. Bradley Beal had a career year. John Wall had a career year. Kelly Oubre Jr. is one of my favorite bench players. They've added guys, Bogdanovich. They've added Jennings. They've got guys on the bench there. Markeith Morris is a true stretch four. He can shoot the three. He's effective. Marcin Gortat is tough inside. So I'm looking at the Wizards to potentially challenge the Cavs. They've got to, they've got to get past Atlanta, though. That's, that's a tough series for them. Um, but they have home court, and they had that huge home court, uh, home winning streak during the season. And finally, in the Eastern Conference, Toronto finished in the third seed, and they finished very strong. Kyle Lowry returned from the injury he had with the wrist after the All-Star game, and they've been strong. DeMar DeRozan keeps doing it. Uh, I expect the Raptors to to push towards the towards the conference finals. They play the Bucks. It's fun that we get to see Giannis Antetokounmpo in the postseason. That's one thing. And their first above 500 finish in a, in a few years. So Jason Kidd's got this team in. They've overcome the injury to Jabari Parker. Chris Middleton's back. And Tentacumbo could do anything for you and, and on any, any given night. Um, but I expect the Raptors to go through here with home court. In the West, Golden State play Portland. Um, the Blazers have, have, have done well. They were, they were out of the playoff picture for a long time. For a few months, I thought Denver were going to creep in. Um, the team that came to London this, this season. But the Nuggets, still too inexperienced and potentially a better team on court uh, without Moutier, uh, point guard. But that's another story for another day. Golden State, Portland, same series as last year. The Warriors won 4-1 in the second round against the Blazers. It's, it, look, Kevin Durant's back. He's healthy. It's, it's important that he's had four to five games since returning from the injury. His minutes have increased. Steve Kerr doesn't seem too concerned uh, with him playing minutes gradually. So you've got Durant back. Steph had the chance to become Steph again with KD out. He found his stroke. They're ready to go. This is the team that we, we saw at the start of the season. They're healthy. 
and they're together and they're going to make a run. They're obviously the uh, the Vegas favourites to win the title. And with Cleveland's inconsistencies this season, I don't argue against that. You've got the guard play in this series as well, for, for quickly. Lillard, McCollum, Thompson, Curry. Uh, Clay's going to have a, a job on his hands defending those two. And, and again, Golden State, how do they attack Steph Curry and where do they put him on defence? You know, we saw Cleveland bully him a bit and that's what teams started to do in the postseason last year. Matchups is going to be an important one. Uh, the least exciting series probably in the playoff bracket is San Antonio Spurs' second seed against the Memphis Grizzlies. Memphis Grizzlies were a nice story at the start of the year. David Fisdale, he had Mark Gasol shooting the three. He was using lineups where you had players in there that, that weren't supposed to be getting rotation minutes. Zach Randolph had to step down and, and play less. Mike Conley's been doing it again all season. Jermichael Green is an exciting young player. But this series doesn't inspire you to watch, right? So on Saturday night, 8 o'clock Eastern time on ESPN, you're probably not going to tune into Spurs-Grizzlies unless you're a fan of those two teams. It's going to be gritty. We know how the Spurs play. We've seen this story before. This was not a 60-win team, and they became one. Again, Kawhi Leonard up there for the MVP favourite. Greg Povich doing a great job with that system. Look, Tony Parker's had his worst season since his rookie year. LaMarcus Aldridge, all the numbers are down. Pau Gasol hasn't replaced Tim Duncan. That one adds impact to Kawhi Leonard's MVP case because he's done a fantastic job. And second of all, San Antonio just keep rolling along. Danny Green is, is a fourth or fifth best player on any team. So this team isn't, on paper, wasn't a 60-win team. They finished strong. They've got the second seed again. Um, and, you know, for all the talk of Houston and James Harden, they stayed above them. So Spurs, for me, going to go through in this one. The most exciting one and the one that's going to get the most uh, media coverage is certainly Houston, third seed against Oklahoma City Thunder, sixth seed. We've got the matchup we want of the point guards, James Harden, Russell Westbrook. If you're wondering, my MVP pick is James Harden because of the way he's transformed his game. The responsibility has been given from Mike D'Antoni and he's shown the world that he can pass the ball as good as anyone. He's got the weapons outside of that, but he had to buy in. He had to change. And this Rockets team was built on the foundation of two superstars, James Harden and Dwight Howard. They traded Howard last season. They brought in bit part players that either had injury history. uh, They weren't great. Ryan Anderson, Eric Gordon, Trevor Rees is still doing it. But James Harden has, has done a lot with that team, and that's to be credited. But this, this matchup, maybe we should just say whoever wins this series gets the MVP. I do not want to see a co-MVP. I know most people don't want to see that either. Um, but th- this is going to be an all-energetic series. Like You're not going to miss a game because every single time, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and these teams are going to bring it every single night. Because the Rockets have a toughness about them. The Thunder are following in the footsteps and the leadership of Westbrook. You know, he sat out the penultimate game of the season. So he played 81 games this year. James Harden had the wrist problem. That, that, that could hurt his MVP case, but it could also hurt the Rockets in the playoffs. I expect the Rockets to win this one, but I'm going to say this is going to go seven games. Just because of that Thunder crowd when they go home, the fact that Westbrook will just win you a game single-handedly, he'll be able to scratch out a few wins for the Thunder, who do have a good team. They do have a good supporting cast. For what we say about Oklahoma, Taj Gibson, Doug McDermott, who doesn't play too much for them, I know, Ennis Cantor, Stephen Adams, Victor Oladipo, solid, solid players, Abrinas, they've got good shooters. So that's the exciting series for me. 
And then finally in the West, Clippers and the Jazz. Both teams were tied going into the last day of the season. They were fighting for the fourth seed to get home court advantage. The Clippers had uh, a, bit of a, a bit of an easy one against the Kings. The Jazz beat the Spurs, but the Kings lost to the Clippers. So LA get home court advantage. Um, you know, the, the story's tiring, right, of this Clippers team. Do we know what's going to happen? Probably. One of Blake Griffin, Paul, Chris Paul or DeAndre Jordan are going to get an injury in the first round when they look like they're going to start playing well and then that's going to be it. Or they just drop out in the second round. This team has not got past the second round since the big three have been together. The Jazz are a solid team. Gordon Hayward made the jump to All-Star. George Hill, great, great point guard. And he's going to be a big free agent this summer. Rudy Gobert can play defense. You've got Gobert against Jordan, two long centers. So it's going to be fun. But we've seen this story before with the Clippers. I think the intrigue of this series is, is working out where the Jazz are and how much they've actually improved. Because they, they've really competed in the Western Conference. But this is a different level altogether. So the playoffs start Saturday. I'm excited. And I think it's great timing that we had Mike Breen on today. A really an interesting story. Really great re- uh, listen from from Mike to hear about his life uh, an inspiring story and that alumni at Fordham University wow Vince Scully Michael Kay Mike Breen and there's a lot more where, where that's concerned so thank you again to Mike for his time uh, and thank you to you guys um, for, for listening again I'm on iTunes at the US Sports Podcast with Max Whittle if you like what you heard please leave a lovely review for me um, I'd really appreciate that we've got some new cover art now a new avatar on iTunes and Audio Boom. So it's, uh, it's all shaping up to be nice. It was a great trip in New York. And yes, you can also listen on Audio Boom uh, on the US Sports Podcast with Max Whittle. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, I'm on Twitter at Max underscore Whittle. So thanks to Mike Breen. Thanks to you guys. And until next week, I'm going to say this time, enjoy the playoffs. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus.